If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. If you've ever played sports, I'm sure you've heard that term, the title of our message today, get your head in the game. My coach said it often, often. I thought it was a greeting for me. Get your head in the game. Get your head in the game. I mean, I I heard it so much, right? My head is ADD, right? Um, But it's important to have your head in the game. What they're saying is concentrate, right? Be concentrating on what you're doing, right? Have your have your mind set uh, Because the mind is very important. That's why Uh, Last week uh, all of us were shocked as the Olympic champion Simone Biles uh, Withdrew from the women's gymnastic finals after her first event And of course she later explained to the media that that she wasn't in her right Well, that that didn't sound right in the Let me write it down. Not in the right mind. She was, her, her mind wasn't in the right place. She wasn't in the right place mentally, is what she said. And it took some criticism for that. But other gymnasts identify the phenomenon as the twisties. And uh, that's uh, when your mind is basically on a different page than your body. And it's a very serious thing. It really happens. And again, she had some criticism about that. Like, oh, come on, toughen up. You're an athlete and so forth. Former gymnast uh, Zerlina Maxwell uh, said that, made a pretty good point. He said, gymnastics isn't like basketball. If you're off your head game, you don't just brick, you die. And of course, the idea of bricking in basketball, if you totally missed the hoop, right, Greg, or hit the backboard, I've done that, like a brick, <laughs> it doesn't go in the hole. Um, and, and, and yet we understand that. We've seen gymnastics get hurt because their mind has to be in, in total sync with their body, it has to be total concentration. And um, I think, I think that the point here is that not only is this important in athletics, not only is it important that our head is in the game in our jobs, not only is it important that our head's in the game in college or high school or, or, or whatever we're, we're doing, but it's vitally important that our heads are in the game when it comes to spiritual matters. Uh, because what you think determines what you believe. You have to use your mind. You see, that's the idea. Our minds have got to be in this thing, and we have to spiritually, or we have to understand about spiritual things. We have to know them in our minds, and what you think in your mind determines what you believe, and what you believe determines not only how you live in this life, not only what you determine is right or wrong in this life, but ultimately your eternal destiny. This is important, and so today in our society, folks, this is totally out the, out the door. Uh, thinking with your mind, uh, critical thinking, uh, you, using evidence, facts, ob- objective truth as your basis for making a decision. Now today in our society, narratives and stories drive the majority of discussions concerning what's right and what's wrong. I want to say that again. In our society today, narratives and stories drive the discussion about what's right and what's wrong. Basically what a person has faith in today, what they believe in Uh, today is determined not by truth or facts, but by which story grips their heart the most and causes them to be emotional and and get uh, uh, all empathetic and feel feel something. And so that's what they're going to believe because of that story. Uh, It's 
Of course, because of the fruit of postmodern worldviews that we, we have this, right? This, this, this view is uh, replaced absolute, objective, never-changing truth with subjective, whatever makes me feel good stories. That's, that's, that's where we're at today. I mean, this is, this is, made, this is made evidence in, in, in the lives of Christians who have stood upon a truth, an objective truth, that, that life in the womb is precious, that this is a human being, and that, therefore, we should stand and protect life in the womb. This, this was known. Based on what? Based on facts, based on the Word of God, based on an objective uh, truth. And yet... When somebody hears a narrative of a family member or a friend, hears the story, sad story, they begin to, to, to change and say, well, you don't understand. There's, there's other circumstances involved. There's other feelings involved. And, 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 and therefore, I no longer believe that. I think it's okay in, in, in these situations. The same is true with sexuality. We, we have the Bible that, that, that reveals God's word, his, his truth, his will for sexuality for womanhood, for manhood. That's the, that's the evidence we base our faith on in our minds. We hear the word of God and we, we think on these things as Paul's gonna show us today. And, and those things then determine how we live. What I think in my mind is what determines ultimately what I believe and how I, how I live. But, but the same narrative is true for this thing of sexuality, the way God made it. We, we have these moments, and I understand this is hard. I understand, we are humans, we do have hearts, we do have these moments of, of, of empathy, that's okay. When a family member says, I'm gay, or when a friend tells the story, and, and we begin to, 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 to let that narrative and that story drive what we think above and beyond objective truth. Now, these do not, they're not, they're not, they're not enemies. They're not antithetical. I mean, you can have objective truth and you stand on it and still love people and still be gracious and gentle as the Bible commands us and still see the dignity of a, of a person made in the image of God and, and to, to support them as a human being and, and love them. But it doesn't change the objective truth of God's word. So Paul reminds us that we not that we're not to live based on what we feel in our hearts, but by what we know in our heads. Then you say, but I thought Christianity was all about the heart. But that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's, that's a misnomer. I usually say misdemeanor right there. My wife has to correct me. No, it's a, it's a misnomer. <laughs> that's why I had to think of that word. That's a misunderstanding. Our hearts are involved, yes, but if our hearts are left to themselves, they go astray because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So our minds, we think, we hear truth. We have objective truths. And, and, and listen, I'm going to put up here, this is kind of what Paul is, is going to say. I'm going to summarize it and then we're going to read the scriptures again and kind of just look at this. But, but up on the screen, you'll see this. Uh, look, look at this. My head contains the facts that cause my heart to react and provide the passion to act on what I believe. So they're all involved, and we've got to have all of it. You've got to have it. I mean, again, the, the reformers of old, Jonathan Edwards talks about the joy of, of Christ. 
the joy that true theology and truth brings to the heart, and we rejoice, and we live out a life of joy and passion in this world. But you see, that order is so important. My head contains the facts, right? The, the, the objective truth that causes my heart to react. My heart has to be guided. It can't just be left to its, uh, it, it's itself, to, to just jump on a whim that everything that, that stirs it. It has to be guided. So again, the head contains the facts that cause my heart to react and provide the passion to act on what I believe. I think we see this evidence in worship each week. This is what it should be in a church. In many churches, the heart is leading the show. I mean, there's all kinds of emotion flying. There's, I mean, it's the volume gets loud, the crescendos, the lights, the fog gets in your eyes. I mean, it's all exciting, and pretty soon people are crying and jumping and waving hands, and, and, and they're not really sure of what they're singing sometimes. Am I against emotion? No. Am I against somebody raising their hands in worship? No. Lift holy hands unto God, right? Shout unto God with a voice of triumph and praise. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Paul just told us. But notice this formula in action here at a worship service. What, what happens? We hear songs that reflect biblical truth, theology, doctrine objective truth our hearts then begin to react to that foundational truth that that truth that goes beyond understanding that that while i was a sinner christ loved me that his blood was shed for me that god in his grace sought me and loved me and bought me all of those truths the the, the, the holiness of god the the beauty of god we sing these things and that objective truths moves to my heart and my heart reacts to that and those emotions are right to honor and praise and rejoice in in the presence of a holy god matter of fact again our truth must move our heart or else we're in trouble if our theology doesn't move and live and, and cause our hearts to scream out in passion then our theology is dead but we must have the order right it must be first and foremost that our heads have received the knowledge and the truth the evidence and the objective truth of who God is, his holiness, his grace in Christ Jesus, then our hearts respond and cause us to act passionately. So, so what you think is important. It ultimately does affect what you believe and how you behave. Mark Twain, theologian, said this. <laughs> Mark Twain said, what a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and, and, and is known to none but himself. All day long, the mill of the brain is grinding and his thoughts, not those other things, are his history. Jonathan Edwards put it like this. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. So Christians, we are not those who check our brains at the door and simply take blind leaps of faith, following our hearts and emotions everywhere. No, no, God forbid. Say, I mean, think about this. How often does the Bible say this? Search the scriptures daily that you may see if those things are true. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Desire the sincere miracle of the word of God that you may grow 
thereby. So again, we have to be inputting the truth, the objective truth of God's word into our head. It's important. Satan knows this. Satan knows that if he can influence what we think about, it will affect what we believe and ultimately determine how we live. Think about this. We live in an age where we are inundated by stimuli all day long, right? Our brains are receiving messages and things at an astonishing rate. Think of this. Back in, in the 70s, <laughs> back, in the, back in the 70s, it was reported that the average person saw between 50, or, I'm sorry, 500 to 1,600 ads per day billboards, TV, magazines in the 70s. It's estimated that now in 2021, we see 6,000 to 10,000 ads per day. And again, that's just the ads. That's not counting streaming movies, TV, radio, social media, podcasts, right? You add all that and kabloomy, our brains are just blown up with influences, information and influences, trying to conform us to be like everyone else in this world, trying to be like this world's system. And, and then consider those sources. Again, the sources of this information, the sources of all this media that's inundating and driving into our brains. I mean, the majority of the information that we receive on, on a daily basis comes from a secular, postmodern, godless source. The, the world is at enmity with God, right? So, so this is where we're at. Now, I think most of us understand that, but I'm, I'm setting this up because we need to have this foundation of why our minds are so important. There is a battle for the mind. That old uh, book that was written years ago is, is true. Biblically, we must input objective truth into our minds, know what we believe. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Look at this. I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your genuine worship, reasonable worship. It's, it's genuine worship. What is to be acceptable to God? How do I do that? How do I do that? <laughs> do not be conformed to this world. That's how I bring honor to God, by not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now look what he goes on to say here. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? You, you see this? Our mind is, is vital in this thing. We don't check it. We don't just believe all things with just this blind faith. But we test things. That word testing there means to examine, to determine the genuous, genuineness of something. It's, in, 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 in the Greek, again, that, that idea is that it, it's taking for granted there is an ob objective truth, an absolute truth that you measure all things by. And you're measuring things to see if they measure up. You're testing things to see if they measure up with that truth. You're measuring things to see if they're good. There is a word called good, by the way, society. There's a word called bad society today. I just want to let you know there is a good and there is a bad. There is a right and there is a wrong. There's an acceptable and there's a not acceptable. There's a perfect and there's an imperfect. That's, that's what, and so how do we know? 
Our minds have got to be renewed by the transforming of the Holy Spirit and the gospel, obviously, and the word of God, so that we can test things, discern things, and know truth. Again, this is why so many Christians are so befuddled and easily led astray by any slick-talking teacher or preacher on the internet. We don't know the Word of God. Therefore, we can't test or examine anything to see if it's genuinely true or not. So Paul reminds us of what we should be streaming into our minds today. That's really what I want to get us here, right? Paul reminds us what we must be streaming into our minds. And we've got to be honest with ourselves, folks. All of us need to work in this area. What is streaming into your minds? What is the majority of input into your mind? This is what Paul deals with now as he begins to close this book of Philippians. Wow, let's notice. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, that's basically the list. Now he kind of sums it up, the word if there, it's kind of a, in summation, he says. In summation, he's basically saying, if anything is excellent, if there's excellence, and in, in summation, if anything is worthy of praise to God, ultimately that's what the Christian bases all of our decisions on, is this thing to the praise of God, to the glory of God. Well, Paul says, if so, then think about these things. Think about these things. Now that we're going to just quickly look at each of these, I know it's scary when you think, oh, there's eight, ten points of this sermon. No, we're going to just look at these very quickly and then continue to move to an application. But alethe, the word truth, is very important. It begins with that, if you notice this. I mean, Paul starts with right out of the gate, whatever is true, whatever is true. Now, in our society, again, he's already caused a problem. <laughs> what do you mean whatever is true? Who can say what's true? There is no real truth, objective truth, absolute truth. But no, the Bible assumes there is. There's no debate in the scriptures that there is an absolute, unchanging, foundational truth. And Paul begins telling Christians, this is what you must think on, those things that are true. And I like the Greek uh, tint to this, really. When you look at the Greek word, you get the definition there, it says basically that it's just truth pertaining to historical fact. Truth based on what has always been. Again, only God can give us truth because only God has always been. God is truth. His ways are true. His laws are true. His commands are true. And so when we begin to test things, we're testing them according to things that never change because of who they're from, God. If there's any honor in it, that was just honorable, fitting, and appropriate behavior. Isn't that something? That's what that literally means. If it's fitting or, or appropriate. Well, you mean, what do you mean? Anything's appropriate if I want to do it. You do you. I'll do me. Mm, if I ever get mad, it's at that statement. You do you. You do you. Do whatever makes you feel good. Really? Okay. Hold still while I take this bath and hit you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry, that's flash. <laughs> but the idea, folks, is there are things that are appropriate and there are things that aren't appropriate because that's just the way it is. This is truth as we measure with the scriptures and not with everybody's opinion in our world, not with a culture that constantly shifts 
and ebbs and flows with whatever it wants to do at, at, at times. Whatever is good for the, for the whole, that determines what's right or wrong. What, what, what's good for all of society or what, what, what's good for that group that wants something right now? That'll be our truth. That'll be what's honorable. That'll be what's appropriate. It's so funny. I think it's funny. Watch these Olympics. It's fun to watch because there's different things that happen. I don't know if you saw this. There was a, I think it was a javelin thrower. She was, um, she was actually called out because her bikini bottoms were called inappropriate by one of the judges. And she was very angry and protesting and, and very like, who, who says this? Who, who could tell me this? And, and by what standard? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm so offended. But it's so ironic that this other team, I forget where they're from, they were a handball team, women handball team. They would not wear the bikini bottoms. They, they would, said, we're going to wear shorts, like thigh-length shorts, because they felt uh, used, to put it mildly. Um, and they were reprimanded by the Olympic. They said, it's the rule. You cannot. So, I'm, so the world's confused, is what I'm saying. If we're going to let the world decide our morals, we're going to be going back and forth at the whims of people. That's why, again, Paul is saying, no, 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 we have a, we have a standard, believers, God's people. We have a standard. Think on these things. If it's truth, there's a truth. Think on it. There's things that are fitting and appropriate. Think on those. There's things that are just, he says. That means right. Justice, righteous. Think on those things. Pure, the word pure, such a, a foreign word today. Literally the word innocent, purity, innocence. Sometimes we mistakenly call that naivety, naivety. Uh, oh, they're just naive. Man, I believe and, and, and I just want to say I think many, many Christians should long for more naivety in this world. We, we do not need to know every term and every secular uh, sinful slang and this is, what Paul, this is what the Bible tells us we should for, forsake as believers. This is what Paul's saying right here. This is the whole idea, right? Think on what is pure, not on what is immoral, decadent, not appropriate, not fitting, not right, but pure and innocent. Who are we trying to please with our carnal knowledge? Who are we trying to look cool to a world that hates our savior or are we more impressed or are impressed upon our hearts to please the one who gave his life for us to be pure and innocent, innocent in his eyes yeah mark me world call me a fool all the day long but I want to I want to please my my savior I want to ultimately be that role model for, for my children, my grandchildren, where they do see honorable and, and, and dignity and integrity and character, those words that we don't talk about much. He says if there's anything lovely, that, that, that which is pleasing to the eyes, that's exactly what that means. Again, confined with all these other terms, that's a, that's a good thing. Now, yes, our flesh can take things and say, oh, this is lovely. I want to look at this. It brings me pleasure. And that can be sin. But this is talking about those gorgeous, righteous, lovely things that God has made for us to enjoy, like the setting of a sun. How lovely is that? A, a, a wonderful work of music performed by a, a skilled orchestra. Beautiful, lovely. I'm going to think on those, those things. A beautiful piece of, of, of art that brings glory to God. That's, 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 that's beautiful. Think on things that are lovely, pleasing, those things that God's given us freely to enjoy. 
He says commendable, finally, as he sums things up. Commendable, having a good reputation, right? Something that you can actually recommend to somebody. Oh, there's, there's something in it. I mean, we all live, I, I'm, I'm with you, right? We all live in a world where we watch movies, right? We're not legalists here, by the way. <laughs> Don't be waiting for a list here in a moment of things to do and not to do, but you know, we, all, we all do watch movies. And You ever watch a movie, and this is how we're so... so uh, so silly sometimes. You watch the movie, and then you don't think much about it, about anything indecent in that movie, right? You watch it, and this is the problem again. Hollywood is not going to promote pure, innocent, <laughs> lovely, godly type of lovely uh, images and films. But anyway, you watch that thing. Overall decent, right? Overall idea. And, and, and you go about your way until you're talking to somebody and you recommend that movie. Oh, yeah, we, we watched blah, blah, blah. And then it hits you. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. And oh, man, I forgot about that too. Oh, man, maybe. Oh, good night, right? <laughs> now, this is hard for all of us, and I understand we have liberty. I'm not going to trounce on that either. What a balance we have. This is where the Holy Spirit leads you. But I'm just saying our heart now takes over at this point. We have the knowledge. Paul's giving us the knowledge. He's saying, here it is. If you're a believer... There's things that your mind needs to be thinking on to affect your heart. And then your heart will say, I'm going to act on that. And therefore, I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to watch this or see this or drink this or eat this. All that stuff. That's, again, driven by the, the, the spirit in us. But then he, he says, if there's any excellence, that means outstanding goodness or virtue. Is it overall just outstanding in its virtue? And if it's worthy of praise to God. And then again, is the final question we ask of all activities, right? Is this going to glorify God? Because that's the whole purpose of man. Why was man created? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So Paul says, think on these things. And that word think there is just this, this not just a, a quick thought, but it's a pondering Almost a wallowing in these things, right? Stay in these things. Think on these things. Let these things transform your mind as we connect it back to Romans 10 or 12. So, 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 so the, the question now is, good night. Where in the world are we going to find those things in this world we live in? How am I going to find things that are lovely? How am I going to find things that are true? How do I find righteousness and and honesty. Where do I find these things? Well, the Bible. I mean, this is why God's given us his word. We're going to find all of those things in the word of, of God. I know you said, what a, pet, what, a, what, a, what a standard answer. Oh, here he goes. Just read the Bible and pray. What do you know about that? Don't you know that's always been the answer for how do you mature as a believer and live a life that glorifies God? It has always been. Be in prayer to our Father and read his word. And the Holy Spirit uses that to sanctify us, <laughs> to mature us, to grow us. That is the answer. If you're tired of that answer that says pray and rely on the grace of God and read his word, then you might as well find a new church because th this is the life of Christians. This is what Paul's telling us here. Where are you going to find truth? Look at this. Here, here's, here's kind of a summation of what Paul's about to say in verse 9. Just a little re, uh, preview before we get to it. We learn truth. 
We have to hear truth, learning, right, in order to think on it. So we learn truth, then we think on truth. Then we begin to love that truth. There's the heart now. So it begins by being taught the truth that's now in our mind. We are now thinking on those things. That is now beginning to affect my heart. My heart begins to love those truths, and we act on that truth. I behave differently. My life is changing and being transformed into the image of Christ. That's what he's going to say here. Look, look, look at this, verse 9. He says, think on these things, right? Whatever's lovely, truthful, all honest, all those things. Think on these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's what he's saying here. Think on these things which you've learned. You catch that? You learned these things. You received them into your mind. And then you've not only learned them, but you've observed them. You've seen and heard them in my life, Paul says. And then he says this. Now that you have learned and you are thinking on them and you receive them in your heart, now practice these things. Live these things. And what happens? And the God of peace will be with you. This, this beautiful chapter so far four has been about peace, right? Having, having the peace of God that passes, surpasses all understanding. And Christians, again, they wonder, why do I not have peace? Why am, I, why am I just pushed to and fro by everything that comes along? Paul's giving us the practical answer here. If you want to have the peace of God, think on these things. <laughs> Learn of him. Think on him and his beauty and his truth and his excellence. And it will transform you and you will be able to begin to practice those things in your life. That means you're going to be changed. You're going to be living differently. You're going to be showing forth the evidence that Christ is in you. Learn. Emethete, learn. That literally it means to be instructed by another. So again, this is not just self-learning by experience in life. Like, I'll just kind of learn on my own, kind of see what's going on. No, no. It has the, the distinct meaning of being taught by another. So that's important that we understand that. This, again, brings us to the importance of Christians uniting themselves with a local church, that which was instituted by Christ himself to be the pillar and ground of the truth that Paul said we're to think on, God has ordained elders in that church to proclaim what? Not their opinions, but the Bible, his word. And we are uplifted and we are equipped and we are built up by the truth. So we learn truth. We think on that truth. We begin to love that truth and we begin to act on that truth. Now look at this, Acts 8, 26. I'm going to close with this example. Um, uh, this is a just, I think, a practical, beautiful example of this idea of being taught. We need to be taught by good teachers who are going to be faithful to the Word of God. We, we need to then uh, think on those truths, and, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, how we do that here in a moment. But look at this. This is a great story of Philip, who was a, a, a servant in the early church, a, a, a preaching uh, deacon, if you will, and, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch, 
And it's in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. Look at this. I love this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. So, so first of all, this is the, a description of when people say, well, does God speak to us? Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago. God speaks to us through his word, but does he speak audibly? No. Does God come to, and say, here's a new revelation for you? Nobody else knows this, but here it is just for you. Mm -mm. He speaks to us through his word. But the Holy Spirit then takes his word and impresses us. So I, when many times, I've told many people this, when they say that God spoke to me or, or this or that, it's, it's more, I think, biblical to say, the Spirit impressed upon me the word of God to do this, to obey. That's what's going on right here. It's a good example of this. We know that God has given a great commission. Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, <laughs> baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things. That's already been given. That's already God's will. That's already God's word. What does the spirit do here? This, the, the angel, it, it, it impresses upon Philip's heart. Go talk, go, go to this place, go here and preach the gospel. If you're sitting on an airplane and somebody's sitting there and you have this feeling, I need to share the gospel. That's, that, is that the Lord? Yes, because he's given all of us that command. <laughs> it's just impressing upon our hearts the truth that we already have in our mind and heart. And now we have to obey by the Spirit's grace. But look what happens. He, he rose and went, he obeyed, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this guy was high up in this political system. He probably had a great entourage of people. Who knows how many people are in his caravan? And, 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 and he's, he's, okay, here we go. Let's keep reading. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. So he's religious, even. And he's seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Mm. So he's reading in a book of Isaiah, scroll of Isaiah, in this chariot. Now listen to this. And the Spirit said to Philip, and here it is, here's that example. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join yourself to that chariot, right? We all need to listen to when the Spirit tells us, go over there and tell them about Jesus. That's, that's, that's Bible, right? That's obeying the Word of God. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. <laughs> And ask, now look at this, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now look at what he says. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I understand unless somebody teaches me? Mm. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. That is like saying sick him to a dog. I mean, are you kidding? You're reading Isaiah? And you're asking Philip, hey, you want to come tell me what this means? Bing, there's Philip right there. I mean, he jumps in that chariot quicker than you can imagine, right? Here, what, an, what an opportunity. Now look at verse 26. Here's what happens. It says, now the passage of, of Scripture that he was reading was this. And here's, here's what he's reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. Talking about, obviously, the prophecy of the Messiah, Christ being crucified on the cross. This is, this is what Isaiah's talking about. And the eunuch said to Philip, now look at this. 
about whom is he speaking? <laughs> Who's that about? <laughs> That's what he says. About whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip said, I thought you'd never ask. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Wait a minute. He had to be in the New Testament to do that, didn't he? No. Obviously not. Isaiah is preaching the gospel. All of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is pointing to Christ. In revealing Christ. Then Philip opened his mouth and, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. So here we see this man is learning. He's hearing about Christ. He's hearing the gospel message of repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He's hearing this. He must have also gone all the way to the idea of, hey, and when you believe on Christ, you publicly identify in baptism that you're not ashamed to identify and show that outward symbol of your inward faith. He must have gone all there because of what happens next. As they are going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Wow. What an example of this idea of how important it is to be taught. We have to be taught, have to hear the truth in order to learn it, right? But once we learn it, we think on it. And it's in there. And then it moves to the heart. And we could say, in a sense, that's faith for us, that heart movement, that God has done a work in us where our head accepts. See, a lot of people have the head knowledge. I mean, that's where you can't just stop there. The head knowledge of the gospel, of Jesus living and dying and being buried and rose again. But it's when the Holy Spirit does this wonderful work of regeneration and the head connects to the heart and the passion to obey and to love and to follow Christ erupts in action and obedience. And that's the example we see in that story. So let me give a quick application. So what you fill your mind with will determine whether or not your life brings glory to God or not. So as a believer, this is just rubber meets the road kind of stuff. What are we, what are we going to fill our minds with? What are we really going to fill our lives with? Now, we're not talking legalism here, so I'm not going to give you a list of movies to watch and movies not to watch. I'm not going to tell you to buy pure flicks or, or whatever, right? I'm not going to do any of that. And I'm not against any of that, by the way. But you must test every thought, every activity, everything. How do you do that? You have to have knowledge. If you're reading God's Word, learning his truth, and then measuring everything by that. So what Paul has done is he's kind of given us something I call the activity analyzer. We have an activity analyzer. What, should I do this or not? Yeah, Philippians 4.8, run it through there. That's what Paul's saying. Think on these things, and those things that are beautiful to the Lord and praiseworthy and honest and virtuous, practice them, do them. If they're not honorable, if they don't bring God glory, if they are immoral, don't do them. Don't even think on them. So very, very quickly, this, this 
almost anticlimactic, so hang in here. I'm going to ask you to read your Bible. Read your Bible more. Again, the, the only real source of truth and virtue and love and decency and justice and all of the things that, that Paul's talking about, the only reliable, pure source of that is the Word of God. So what are we spending the most time ingesting? What is going into our minds the most? Not saying, again, I'm not going crazy legalism on, on us here. We live in the world. God's given us all things freely to enjoy. There are things we can definitely enjoy in this world. But the, the most time should be spent meditating, reading, ingesting the Word of God and then thinking on those things. So the first and foremost way we do that is read the Bible. You say, I don't like to read. Then listen to it. There's plenty of apps. There's no excuse today. Listen to God's Word. Get it in your mind. The only thing that's going to transform you and change you is the Word of God. Get it in there. Then come and hear Christ and His Word proclaimed. That's our first P. That's why we exist as a church, to proclaim Christ. And the, 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 the way that is done most, or, or the, the most emphasis, is on a Sunday morning gathering where we come together as God's people. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, but, but come and hear the word of God that is able to make you wise unto salvation, that is able to show you how to measure truth from error. It is the standard, but you've got to hear it. So come and hear it. Come on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we're now going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, it's another opportunity to, to be under the sound of God's word, to take it in, to study, to learn, to think on it. Participate in community groups. It's another way, as a church lives life together, we have community groups, core groups that we meet with. And again, we remind each other of these, of these truths. We think on these things together. Read good theological sound material by solid teachers, preferably more ancient than contemporary. I mean, like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon and Thomas Watson and just on and on. And we, we've got some resources out there if you're, if you're interested to read. We, we try to keep a kind of constant supply of books and resources out there for us because we should be reading and ingesting other great faithful teachers who teach the Bible and guide us in that direction. Read biographies. This is, a, this is really good. Read biographies of great saints who have lived faithful lives for the glory of God. Those who have, who have practiced. And just like Paul said, hey, that which Paul is talking, these people, that these, these, these mentors of ours of old, these, these saints and brothers and sisters that has, have lived through the centuries, they're not perfect but they can say with Paul, hey, that what you've heard and seen in us, practice this. You, you see that we were faithful. I mean, people like Amy Carmichael and R.C. Sproul and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Elizabeth Elliot. I mean, it's on and on. There's, there's, there's biographies to read and, and see the, the, the people who were, who were growing in their faith and living for Christ. And let these be our heroes, not just people who live for the flesh, but those who have given up their lives to glorify Christ. Listen to good podcasts. And there's a lot. And, and we're working on a list right now, so I was going to, but we're going to put together something that would be on the realm, 
on Realm, I always call it the Realm, like the Ohio State University, <laughs> the Grace Covenant Church. But anyway, it'll be on Realm, and we also will have sheets available by next week where you can just take one. And it's just going to be some, some great resources. As a matter of fact, right now, if you go to gracecincinnati.com, our church is on our church's website, and, and, and go to the resource tab and hit that, and then click on recommended links, there's about 10 good links there, right, that you can go to, such as Nine Marks and Grace to You and Desiring God and many others. So, so the, this is where we fill our minds. Well, you say, well, no, I'd rather stream a movie on, on YouTube. Well, okay, you're free. Do what you want. But you are not going to be strong. You're not going to have the guides that God's Word gives us. You're not going to know what's true or false. And as a matter of fact, you're putting the opposite standard in your mind with the things of this world. It's just where we're at, folks. So the choice really is what Paul's saying here. Understand that Christ has called us. He's bought us with his blood. We belong to him. You've had to learn that, by the way, and I hope you're learning it today. If anybody's sitting here, I hope you take the message that we, that we saw Philip preach the Ethiopian eunuch, that Christ is the Savior. He was the one who was killed, crushed for your sins, has risen again, and will save you if you repent and believe on him. Learn of him. Continue to learn. Think on these things. Let's be serious about honoring our Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the corrective and the rebuke that it often gives. We also thank you for the comfort and joy and the promise of joy that is even in this message today. There is great joy when we think on these things. When we order our lives according to your standards and not the standards of our heart and not the standards of this society we live in, but when we order our lives and our heart according to your truths, there is joy unspeakable. So, Father, we thank you for that. May you move in our hearts, conform us to your image, that we may bring you great glory. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.